if food is a passion topic for you, but you sometimes get confused, bored and overwhelmed by having to produce meals day after day, then today's show is for you here on the Lotox Life Podcast. Hello, I'm Alex Stewart, your host and founder of the Lotox Movement, and today's show is just with me, no guest, I'm doing a solo show, and it's because the school year has started here in Australia, uh, and I know a lot of people are in the thick of uh, regular family life, that that December, January uh, chaos or cause for celebration and taking time out is well and truly done. And most people have their year in full swing. And with that can come a little bit of overwhelm when it comes to lunch boxes, when it comes to dinner. Uh, maybe you don't have kids in your picture, but you're bored uh, and you're also trying to figure out between work and other commitments how to spend a bit less time in the kitchen without sort of sacrificing, if you like, the quality of the nutrition you're getting. So today's show is going to play out with me starting with a passage from my second book, Lotox Life Food, uh, a, few, a couple of months ago, just before Christmas, when I had Mrs. Press, aka Claire Press, her real name, a wonderful author, incredible activist in the fashion space. Um had her on the show to talk about her second book and I had the idea to read a little passage out to give you some of the magic from it. And I thought, I've never done that with any of my books actually and I loved reading that passage. So today I'm going to read you a little snippet from my second book to start with, just a couple of pages. Then we are going to hook into dinner, that meal that we all show up for, the meal that often takes the most amount of time and I'm going to talk you through a couple of things, the time wasting and how to address that and how to save time, uh, but still make a beautiful variety of food. And then uh, dismantling and disrupting ruts. So if you're making bolognese once a week at the moment, and you're like, oh gosh, I'm so bored. Um, then I have a few minutes spent on some really great ideas for swaps, change-ups, uh, and uh, shake-ups in that department. Then I'm going to go on to lunch and lunch in the context of packed work lunches or lunch boxes for kids. And I've also got some tips on different age groups because my boy is now nearly 15, which I can't believe I just said out loud uh, because especially, you know, Lotox life started when he was a newborn. So you guys have seen this kid grow up and uh, with that and with having all the kids over because I was that mum, especially working in this space and in education, I really wanted to make sure I had sample sizes of all sorts of different kids, different backgrounds, cultures, uh, different grades of fussiness, different types of personalities at my dinner table as often as possible or play dates or sleepovers so that I could get very used to seeing what came up for my beautiful community time and again in your houses by seeing it play out in my very own with the friends that came over. And so I've got some tips around that as well. Now, there are a lot of resources on lotoxlife.com as well. So you can head to the courses tab where you'd find our Thrive course that has been there for, gosh, I think about 12 years now, supporting families, especially in the area of children's nutrition and fussiness. Uh, we have the Fussy Eating Bundle on the shop page of the website. You could, of course, just grab my second book, uh, which has a ton of tips in there as well. Uh, and what else? Just so many articles on the blog, so many recipes in the A to Z recipes to keep things exciting, fun. Uh, but today I am going to give you a ton of tips and it could be, it could well be actually a pen and paper episode. I know you might be on a walk in the park or listening to this in a car, 
Uh, but do make sure you go back and um, write down some of the tips because I promise you if you implement some of these, things will change, whether it's dinner boredom, time taken to produce meals, overwhelm, or uh, feeding your kids and then thinking you had your lunch boxes sorted, but then they grow up and then the d- demands change. Uh, and so how to have uh, your kid feel like they've got agency within the boundaries that you want to set for how um, lunchtime plays out. So we're going through all of it today. So before I hook into the passage from the book, I just want to remind you with your code, Low Tox Life. You have 10% off with our major sponsor, Oz Climate. This one's for the Aussies. Uh, and if American and Canadian listeners are tuned in right now, I want to send you to my friend PJ Harlow on Instagram. I'll pop her details in the show notes for you because she is America-based. She's a mold consultant, but she always does fantastic reviews of what's available in America when it comes to dehumidifiers and air purifiers, which is what Oz Climate is all about. Uh, I have the the Winix air purifier right behind me there next to my bed. Uh, We have the larger one in the living space. We have uh, the 50 litre dehumidifier in our living room right now because it's been a bit of a rainy couple of days here in Sydney. So I'm making sure that microbial growth can't start to happen with that elevated humidity at the moment here. Uh, And we have the little 16 litre compact in our bathroom that we put on after the showers and then move to the laundry if I need to do a drying load because it's not sunny. Uh, or into Seb's room, which is the smaller bedroom. It is such a fantastic thing in these built environments that do not move for up to and over 100 years. We need to keep them in tip-top shape. We need to keep our air clean inside indoor built environments and air purifiers and dehumidifiers are such a fantastic way to do that in modern life. So 10% off ozclimate.com.au, code is LOTOXLIFE. And then a reminder that the LOTOX method, my business coaching program starts next Monday. So if you have a business idea or if you're working in the LOTOX space or if you want to or if you want to pivot your business uh, or just completely reinvent your career, it is a business coaching program that has a very strong coaching and mentoring component. That's my passion Uh, rather than just giving you a whole bunch of blueprints and uh, leaving you to your own devices. I step you through ideation, screening of ideas, different types of ways that you can earn money in this space. If uh, you really feel called to changing up your work life and working on purpose and aligned with your values, then the details for Lotox Method are in the show notes. You have a four-month option uh, or an eight-month option depending on the level of uh, independence or support uh, you have or you want. So all the details are in the show notes. Now let's talk food. I am going to read you. This is page 25 of Lotox Life Food, and it's called The Dirty World of Produce Politics. And I start, once I had my boy 11 years ago, already out of date, (laughs) I wanted to do my best for him and our family, which led me to look into how our whole foods were produced and what the best foods for babies were. I fortuitously picked up Whole Food for Children by my now dear friend, Jude Bluereau, which led me on to many more books by incredible investigative journalists and authors. Uh, and health professionals in the nutrition space, such as Marion Nestle, Michael Pollan, Joel Salatin, Gary Torbs, Michael Moss. Uh, I then understood even more deeply how great an influence the food industry now has over people, the media, and government officials. And I'm just moving away from the book for a second here. 15 years ago, it was really hard to find people to have this kind of conversation with. Uh, which is pretty much why I started my blog to see who out there wanted to have these conversations. Okay, I'm back to it. If you're completely new to looking into additives and processing agents in your food, have a look at those authors' brilliant books, which I've listed along with many others in the further information section at the end of this book. 
You'll also find more in the food chapter of my first book, Lotox Life. My deeper level of inquiry into how foods were farmed and produced opened me up to how agriculture had transformed since the Industrial Revolution to evolve into more and more poisonous chemical inputs, a newer technology called genetic modification, worse and worse conditions for the great majority of farmed animals, live export of cattle to faraway countries in horrid conditions, and workers seemed to continue to be practically enslaved on minimum wages that barely paid their way. And then I learned about the role lobbyists from various food associations played in influencing policymakers when food pyramids were being developed, especially early on. See, these days, moving away from the book again, we have Web 2.0, which means we have social media. We get to galvanise and share information and it's harder for people to cover things up in uh, far away, high up places. Uh, But, you know, 15 years ago, not so easy. So while I left the ultra-processed foods landscape confident and empowered in looking more closely at produce, I was stepping into another minefield. And I know a lot of you guys have experienced this too. It turns out there were wars going on between associations representing various types of produce. And those wars in boardrooms would lead us lead to us ordinary folk becoming more confused than ever before about food, more robbed of our natural instincts and age-old wisdom about what's good for us and what helps us feel nourished and well. This was enough to make my head spin back at this time because I had thought that produce was the far simpler, safer, safer option. And while, of course, it was, and it still is, by the way, if that's all you can focus on, just go from packets to produce as much as you can. That is literally the most important change you can make. But, you know, it was about comparing those boil-in-a-bag dinners in your saucepan with ingredients lists a mile long. Now I was opening up a whole new can of worms or lack of worms, as the case may be. Love a good pun. In her book, Death by Food Pyramid, Denise Minger shares, sheds light on how the original food pyramid design came about. It tells the story of how Louise Light, head nutritionist for the Department of the United States Department of Agriculture, their new food pyramid project in the early 1980s, and it had fruit and vegetables at five to nine serves daily and grains at two to three serves daily. When the pyramid was published, though, those numbers were flipped with grains at 6 to 11 serves per day and fruit and vegetables at 3. Eventually, because the wheat lobby was louder and more affluent than the fruit and veggie farmers. Isn't it quite stunning that whole generations, through being so grain-focused, missed out on critical micronutrients from eating a large variety of fruit and veg? I also talk about uh, more further down when it comes to vitamins from meat, such as our omega-3s, our A, E, D, and K fat-soluble vitamins, very little space left for B12 to support the nervous system and health and energy. It's criminal that we were led down this path through government recommendations, no less, and that no one was ever held accountable for the toll on the health taken by reduced nutrient variety and increased refined carbohydrates and therefore ultra-processed foods. When, at the beginning of talks, I asked, and I do this often, I asked a room of about 100 parents whether they remember more than one child with a food allergy, eczema, Uh, hives, psoriasis, dermatitis, when they were at school, one or two people put up their hand. When I asked them if they can think of more than one child with any of those conditions in their child's classes today, every single hand goes up. I asked them to keep their hand up if it's their child and roughly two-thirds to three-quarters of the room's hands stay up. 
And that for me, moving away from the book now, is huge. It's my favourite experiment to do because if people, especially if people have brought along their uh, reluctant teen or their partner who's not really on board and you see me ask that question to the room and you see that few hands go up about 30 years ago and that many hands go up about now. And when we think 30 years ago, there was no lolly aisle. There was no junk food aisle. It was just coming in in the mid-1980s into regular supermarkets. And so it is very new for us to be exposed to this level of ultra-processed food. Uh, And in the pages that follow after that passage, I unpack uh, World War One and Two and the introduction of agricultural chemicals and what they have to do with weaponry uh, and poisonous gases and how the petroleum industry made its way into agriculture. And it's just fascinating to me how just reading one tiny, small, I mean, it's that section of the my book is like 30 pages long. You don't have to read books and books and books if you don't uh, want to. I, I did that work so that I could distill the really important stuff down to 30 pages. But it helps you be more empowered. And something I hear from parents, from work colleagues who are trying to get their office across the line with changing up morning teas or catering at lunches at conferences where everybody ends up in a carb coma for the afternoon sessions. You know, I I think it's really important to know enough to be able to have an empowered conversation so that you can also know how to change things. So my very first boss in the cosmetics industry, despite the fact that we were all drowning in endocrine disruptive chemicals in that space at that time, uh, she taught me the most fantastic tip when you want to change something, either in your organization, your community, you can extrapolate this tip out across anywhere you want to see change. And that is whinge up. So whinge to someone above you who has decision-making power and whinge with solutions in tow. So bring your whinge, explain why it's whinge-worthy, and also explain what could be done instead that you've looked into because that helps People not see you as just a bitcher and a moaner who's just always going to be saying um, annoying things and telling us everything we're doing sucks or, you know, we hear this a lot in in when people are frustrated trying to get their families on board, changing up their personal care. It's like, ah, oh, it's toxic. Don't use it. If that's all you've got, you don't have enough to get someone across the line. So it's really important to sit, stay and learn. Uh, and hopefully that little passage gives you an idea of how low-tox life food starts um, and how it might be able to help you learn, and then we've got lots of gorgeous gluten-free recipes. But this is absolutely not by any means. I did not intend for this to be a book-selling exercise. It was more that that passage really shows for me how little uh, the average farmer gets a say in uh you know, what people are eating. And, you know, I always tell audiences, the lentil farmer and the the ethical beef farmer, they can't afford the ads on the side of a bus. And that should tell you everything you need to know about what you should be seeking out and buying. Buy the stuff that doesn't have the ads on the bus. Simple. So let's talk dinner. And I've made some notes. I'm very ready. So uh, I'm going to actually be doing a couple of cooking classes coming up in the Low Tox Club, but I understand not everybody wants uh, to join a membership, even though it's only $49 a year. Uh, I am also going to sell tickets to those workshops for 20 bucks, uh, and you'll get an ebook with recipes, tips, uh, and uh, ways that you can bring it all to life. So I'm going to put that in the show notes today. If you think, you know what, I just, I want to see someone do this. I need to feel motivated. Um, And the reason this class came about is because so many people shared with me on Instagram lately that you felt chained to recipes and you felt like you always needed new recipes to feel inspired in the kitchen, but that it also takes a lot of time 
And you also end up with a lot of pantry staples that you often can't get through before they become expired. And so the idea of unrecipe cooking, uh, which is how I cook, which is why it's really hard for me to decide on a recipe and put it in print. Um, but here we are, you know, I've written two books and over 250 recipes on the blog. So clearly I was able to do it eventually, but I generally fly by the seat of the pants in the kitchen and my husband and son always joke about how unfortunate it is that this is the best tasting particular iteration of this classic, like a bolognese or whatever, that they've ever tasted because they're never going to taste it again quite like this. Um, However, it saves me a ton of time, a ton of brain space, And trust me when I say I was not a natural cook. I didn't know how to roast a chicken until I was about 30 years old. So uh, I was very much a product uh, as uh, so many people living in cities have been the past 30, 40 years, the advent of takeaways, the advent of processed foods, things like lean cuisines, which I alluded to with the dump in a bag um, pouches in the book. These were things that just made eating so easy. Uh, And so I didn't feel like I needed to learn how to cook unless I wanted to cook a special recipe. Uh, But now I'm very, very different. And I think it was my years bartending and creating drinks and entering global competitions in that space. Believe it or not, you are listening to uh, Australia's best female bartender of the early 2000s. Um, and I run this gorgeous little bar right around the corner from where I live now, actually called Lotus, which is closed, which is exactly why, uh, I feel a bit old sometimes when you run a bar, ran a bar back in the day that was super famous, uh, yet doesn't exist anymore. But in that time, I really got to know flavor and balance and talking to the chefs who ran the restaurant out the front. And sometimes Lauren would let me work the dessert station with Zach and I would learn a few things there. And I really, I loved the creativity of cooking. That was really what grabbed me. And, you know, different things grab different people. I get that. But with creativity and with noticing patterns, things that come up again and again, this is the number one way you can break free from feeling like you need a recipe every time you cook. So let's take something like a chili con carne and a casserole. Uh, We'll do the chili con carne with beef. We'll do the casserole with chicken, let's say, chicken thighs. So When you get, so never make these separately ever again. I mean, you can, but the whole point here is to save time and money. And the way we do that is by buying more of something like it's on special. So you got a kilo of onions instead of two individual onions. Um, And, and so you've saved some money. Uh, Make double batches. If chicken thighs are on special with your butcher, for example, Uh, these kinds of things are going to mean you save money and you save time by double batching. So two big saucepans, whatever you got, uh, I'll put a couple of my favorites in the show notes for you. If you're swapping uh, your kitchen items over at the moment, big fan of solid techniques, for example. Uh, And so you're going to obviously need to cut up a lot of onions Now think about how much time it takes to get a chopping board out, get a knife out, get the onion out, and just cut one onion for one dish. It only takes about 0.3 of extra time to cut an extra onion for an extra second dish. No extra getting the chopping board out again, washing the chopping board again, getting a fresh knife again. You've cut this down by nearly half the time. Uh, and you're able to start producing two meals. Hopefully that makes sense. Definitely makes sense in my brain. But the point is you're not starting from scratch every single meal you make because many meals that we make uh, for dinner have common ingredients in the starting phases, which mean you can make two things in one go. Even if you don't want to eat this second thing this week and it's really busy, make it anyway, put it in the freezer because then you've got it for another really busy week and 
that's less work. So two onions are going to be needed for one of each of these. If you're double batching, you might need to do two of each onions for both dishes. So four onions, which means you save even more time. Uh, You're going to need, for example, some celery and carrot, fine chopped. Uh, These add sweetness, beautiful flavour, depth of flavour, complexity, uh, and your onions, your carrots and your uh, celery are that mirepoix beginning of your classic dishes. Then you put your onions and your olive oil, need olive oil for both, Uh, So you're not having to grab the olive oil twice for two separate cooking efforts. You just go and go. And then once the onions are sizzling away, you're chopping your carrots and your celery and then you're putting those in. Turn them down a little bit once you add the meat that you're using for both of those to each of those. Now, you might be wanting to do a chickpea casserole if you wanted to do a veggie dish in the mix. So instead of chicken, you're doing chickpeas. Um, so cooked, cooled, drained chickpeas in they go, for example. Um, or you could do chicken and chickpeas and vary and add a bit of extra fiber uh, and a few different types of nutrients to your meal. Anyway, I'm sidetracking here. So we do onions and olive oil, celery, carrot, fine chopped, And, you know, we're talking about like if you're making enough for four to six people per batch, talking about a good handful of each ingredient going into each of the pots. Then once they're a bit softened, you put the meat in and then you just make sure it browns very lightly, though. We don't want to cause glycation. Uh, We know the science behind heavily grilled meats uh, and then sort of tipping into potential carcinogenic activity. Let's skip it, right? So gently browning off your meats, very lightly golden sealed is really the most important thing here. And then turn your temperature down and let that all just do its thing. So you've got your minced beef and your onions and your olive oil, celery, carrots in one pot at this point, and then in the other pot you've got your onion, celery, carrot, and your chicken and or chickpeas at one point, and you're probably going about a kilo of each of the proteins um, in each pot. Uh, And You never want to do half a kilo because then you don't have any leftover for lunchbox hot pots uh, and you can end up uh, just, again, having to make things from scratch way too soon. So once we've done those things and they're happily bubbling away on a low, medium temperature, uh, we haven't added any liquid yet, you're getting out some chicken stock or some veggie stock or some stock concentrate that you add the appropriate amount of water to. You're getting out some uh, passata. I like to use passata in a glass jar because tinned tomatoes, tomatoes are acidic and metal and acid, not great friends, Uh, quite leachy and we can't really be in control of how much. Uh, I often liken uh, tinned tomatoes to uh, plastic water bottles, often big, long logistics chains because they're long-life products, hot trucks, sun, and acid and metal and plastic and heat, not friends. So I tend to go for a glass jar passata instead. And then we are getting out uh, anything else that we might need, some dried herbs, some taco mix, Any of the flavorings that you're going to be using, have it all ready. And once that meat and the veggie, the original veggies have been doing their thing for a little bit, now we're going to add our uh, herbs and spices, stir them through so that they activate and you smell that beautiful smell waft up. And then we're going to add our liquids to both pots. So you see how we are seamlessly working between the two pots and we are making double the food at the same time, instead of having to scratch cook the entire thing the next night. It's like giving yourself bonus time to do other things, right? You know, we often say, oh, I just don't feel like I've got time to sit down and read with my little one anymore. I don't feel like I've got time to 
get on top of the laundry midweek or I don't feel like I've got time to have a chat with a friend. Uh, You do have time to do all of those things if you start to cook this way a couple of times a week because you are halving the amount of time you're spending on producing scratch-cooked meals. So we've added our, let's say, a tablespoon, good rich tablespoon of a mixed herbe de Provence or a mixed Italian herb seasoning or whatever kind of spice mix you want to put in your casserole. Uh, and we've turned that around. So I quite like putting a teaspoon of paprika, sweet or smoked, depending. And this is the kind of thing you can vary week to week so that things taste different and exciting and fresh. Uh, and then um, that is the casserole herbs and spices sorted for me. You could add salt and pepper at this point. Uh, I quite like getting a bit of salt into a casserole early so that it penetrates any proteins and you don't have that kind of bland tasting protein by adding salt right at the end. So to one kilo of meat, you do one flat teaspoon of salt to give you a bit of a guideline. Then we're over in our chili con carne. We add our taco spices and we mix that through. Uh, You can buy ready-made organic taco spices these days really easily, very inexpensively. Uh, If anywhere in the world you can get the Simply Organic brand on iHerb, for example, Uh, and we have some local Australian options here too that with a quick Google you'll find them. I tend to stay away from the supermarket ones. They often add things in like yeast extracts, which are like an MSG cousin um, and uh, can often have extra stabilizers and thickeners that we just don't need in there. Uh, Okay, so now that we've done our herbs and spices, you don't want to leave those too long because they tend to dry everything up and this is when things can stick on the bottom of the two pots. So it's time for our liquids. With a kilo of mince for chili con carne, I would do half a cup of posada and one and a half cups of uh, water with a stock concentrate paste or one and a half cups of stock. And then that's bubbling away. We don't want to add our beans at this point because they tend to disintegrate, especially if you're using tinned beans um, uh, really, really easily. So beans you would be adding when you reheat it to serve. That's kind of when I I do that or when, when you've only got about 20 minutes of cooking left. Then we're over to our casserole. Uh, You might not want to add any tomato-y flavour to your casserole. You might want to keep it quite um, simple, natural, and therefore you'd just do probably two to three cups of stock depending on how much sauce you want. And then later you could just when you take it off the heat, you could stir through some sour cream or some cream or you could stir through some passata at this point and just do like half a cup. Uh, Some people like to add a little bit of sweetness to their casseroles to cut through um, that meaty kind of flavour. I love adding a couple of cups of chopped veggies at this point, baby spinach, uh, zucchini, whatever is in season and green. This is when I like to add that in. Broccoli is beautiful. uh, And uh, adding it right at the start means it's basically disintegrated by the time the casserole's done and you can't see the veggies, which if that's something you're trying to get across the line at the moment in your house, if you catch my drift, that can be really, really helpful. So now you've got all your liquid in and it's a matter of turning those both on low. And what I would do is actually put your casserole in the oven because that's going to need a couple of hours for things to tenderize and get to know each other. Um, You can do this in instant pots and and all that jazz as well, pressure cookers, Um, but I'm just teaching you old school and then you take this principle and do whatever you want with it, totally fine. Um, Instant pot in terms of shopping for one, I would just be going with a stainless steel interior, not a non-stick interior. Um, Okay, so... In the low oven goes the casserole and that can just bubble away with the lid on for a couple of hours until everything's nice and tender. Uh, And then with the chili con carne, that really only needs to cook through and it's ready to rock. Uh, Add your beans as soon as you've added your liquid, cook another half hour tops, you are ready to go with that one. So you could serve either or that day. You could check the other in the fridge for a couple of days down the track or you could use one for hot pot lunches and packed lunches for work, 
It's up to you. But I just wanted to talk you through very specifically two very basic dishes where there are overlapping duties, if you like, for both of them. Uh, And you can really start to save a ton of time in the kitchen once you realize these things. Now, another thing that people grapple with often is boredom. And I just wanted to talk you through a couple of ideas that I use when I'm in a rut. If I feel the rut coming, I just sit down and brainstorm. And I think, what have we been cooking over and over again that I'm just so sick of? Uh, And for example, what you could do is just say you've been making bolognese every single week because it's easy, because you know how to do it. You don't have to think about it. Instead of doing bolognese, change up the oil that you fry the mince in to start with. So go with a um, fragrance-free coconut oil or a ghee uh, or an avocado oil or a macadamia oil and fry that and then add Asian spices. So do like a quarter teaspoon of five spice, a little bit of chili if uh, the whole family or the whole everybody in the household likes it. Otherwise, ditch the chili, forget I said anything. Uh, add a couple of tablespoons of tamari. Uh, that's the gluten-free option. You can, of course, use a regular soy sauce if you're not gluten-free. And then um, add maybe one tablespoon of a rapadura sugar just to give a tiny bit of sweetness if you need no sugar at all then you could go a monk fruit powder like the Lacanto brand uh, and then add a little bit of lime juice uh, and then you've got this delicious tangy slightly sweet um, really delicious flavor to put in lettuce cups and then you just grate some carrots uh, and um, chop up some spring onion and cucumber And you can serve that as a lettuce cup, smorgasbord, and some chopped coriander as well. So, you know, we often buy mince and we think bolognese, but it's so easy to change that up and do an Asian-inspired lettuce cup situation that's buffet style and everyone can kind of put together their own, which means less work for you. Uh, And then you're not having the pasta, so it's a great way to ditch the grains every now and then, the processed um, pastas. Uh, But if you've got some really active kids who do need their carbohydrate top up, you could mix that mince with some cooked rice as well um, to make sure that they're uh, getting re-energized. Or you could serve a fruit salad for dessert uh, to get the carbohydrates in if everyone's been at sports training and you need to refuel um, a little bit more on purpose. Uh, If you're always doing a casserole, uh, like the casserole I stepped you through, instead of adding the Italian or the French seasoning herbs, at that point in the recipe, you could add a couple of tablespoons of a curry powder uh, and then do the half, half cup of passata, but do a cup of coconut cream and a cup of stock. Uh, And just make sure it's a really bland uh, veggie or chicken stock and not a very European tasting one. So you get the authenticity. Um, Otherwise, just add water uh, to your passata and your coconut milk and your curry powder and then turn it into a curry. Pop it in the oven once you've done those steps like we like we talked about. And in two hours, it's just going to be this delicious, luscious curry. Uh, What you could also do is chuck in a bag of peas or a head of broccoli cut into florets about half an hour before you pull it out of the oven at, say, the one and a half hour cooking mark, and then boom, you've got a totally different dinner. But you didn't have to learn a whole new curry recipe because the steps of, okay, obviously we start with coconut or ghee, coconut oil or ghee instead of olive oil, then onions, uh, then our carrot and celery. You could still put that in if you wanted to. Then your protein. So you could do a, a chickpea curry. Uh, you could do a paneer curry. You could do uh, chicken, lamb, beef curry, goat curry, venison curry, whatever you want to do. Uh, and then you fry it off, lightly brown. Again, same deal. Then add your curry spices, your powder, mix it through. I love adding in a few curry leaves as well. Mm, so good. And then passata, half cup, cup of coconut cream, like or a tin of coconut cream, really. It's not going to matter. Or coconut milk if you want something a bit lighter. And then 
a cup of stock, boom, cook it for a couple of hours and it's going to be a delicious, rich curry. You can serve it with rice. You can serve it with cauliflower rice. Uh, and I always add in those greens when it's half an hour off in the oven so that um, there's lots of veggies through there as well. Uh, a breakfast tip, if you're always scrambling eggs and you're absolutely over it, um, my son's paediatrician has him starting the day with two eggs as a minimum sort of protein requirement because he's very active, but he also has ADHD and that protein grounding in the morning is very important for him and he really notices it. Um, but he gets really bored. So what I do is I add in some chopped ham and spring onion to the scramble and make it a little bit more exciting. Or if we've got cooked rice from the night before, I do a dish called eggy rice, which is a little bit like fried rice, but really saturated in the eggs. So while I'm heating the rice up, I'm tossing through um, a scrambled eggs, egg mix through that rice with lots of chopped spring onion um, and can sometimes add a little bit of tamari uh, and make it a bit Japanesey for him as well. And that's a really great change up. So it's not always, oh God, air scrambled eggs, I'm bored. Um, and again, the night before, if you cook, say, sweet potato, always cook double, never just do one tray of veggies, always try and get a second tray of veggies on. So you've got something to play with over the next couple of days, whether it's to put in your salad, whether it's to put in a lunch bento. Um, sweet potatoes in the mix that can go into a frittata situation that you can bake after dinner while everyone's still doing homework, having showers and you're cleaning or your partner's cleaning up. Um, in my case, I cook, he cleans <laughs> and that's the way we like it. So, um, but then you could have that frittata going then and there with some goat's cheese mixed through and a few onions chopped up. Uh, and then boom, you've got easy grab and go breakfast squares for the morning and they taste different. It's easy. I've noticed as kids get older, they seem to need easy as a primary requirement in a different way to the easy of little kids. So this seems to be the perfect segue into lunch boxes. Uh, and I wanted to talk briefly about lunch boxes because uh, a lot of people struggle with them or maybe we just feel bored and overwhelmed uh, or the drudgery of it all three weeks into term kind of starts to catch up with you. <laughs> and uh, I always say you need to give your kid agency and boundaries because if they don't feel like they had a little bit of a say in their lunch boxes, you are dramatically going to decrease the chance of them enjoying that lunchbox contents or whatever you've prepared for lunch. So agency within the boundary means you present some options and you let them choose between those options. And this is a brilliant fussy eating tip as well, in fact. So for example, you could say, okay, we're, we're going to have, um, you know, if your kid struggles with eating meat or if they struggle with eating veggies, whatever they're struggling with or with whatever they're pushing up against uh, when it comes to putting it at the table, you say, okay, so we're definitely having um, some protein in our dinner today or in your lunchbox. Your choice is between, and then you give the two choices, ham and chicken or whatever, beef and lamb. Uh, which one do you choose? Then they feel like they got a say, and that's really important to kids, especially little kids who are trying to establish a sense of personal power uh, as they grow up. This helps them not feel like they need to revolt against you. Uh, the most important thing you can do if you're listening to this and you have babies is to absolutely not, under the age of, I'd say, three, uh, which is where the research starts to show that we do want to start having a dialogue, a positive dialogue about options and things with kids. But under three, you just present food when it is appropriate to present food and they are to eat that food. I know this sounds huge. If it's huge and if it feels like it's really far away from where you're at, please do read some of the blogs I've done on fussy eating or we've got that fussy eating bundle on the shop page, which is honestly one of the best resources you will ever own on the topic. But the whole thing came up, which was when Seb had, Seb was like two, I used to take him to the park and I noticed 
which was really different to the culture I come from. I'm French on mum's side. So I'd been, I'd grown up going to parks in France, uh, in Paris with my little cousins and taking them when I was a teenager. So I'd, I'd spent a lot of time in parks and uh, in parks in French culture. In French culture parks, n- I'd never seen anyone asking kids what they fancied or offering snacks while kids were halfway up play equipment. Uh, if they were sad or crying or just what the hey now. One of the best pieces of advice I have for seeing what happens in Australian toddler park playgrounds is food happens at the end of the play. You offer a snack, you show them what the snack is and they take it. You, You don't give them options. You don't say, do you fancy this or that? If they're under three, they don't know. You are teaching them the world of food they are not teaching you about their preferences at that age. And it's really important that we usher them into a great world of food with lots of delicious options and that we don't play up or play down serious foods, good foods, bad foods, healthy foods. Food is just food and it's what we're presenting them with uh, because they're hungry. And this is what we've got for snacks this morning. Yum, look, watermelon, yum, look, cheese sticks um, that I've cut up or meat sticks or jerky or whatever. Uh, And there's lots of different options. As they get a bit older, agency becomes more and more important. But under three, that is my greatest piece of advice to parents with kids who are little and babies is do not say, do you want? And then what do you feel like? What do you want for dinner? What do you want for a little snack, sweetheart? They don't know. And they're just going to go straight to the thing that they saw at their friend's house or on the Peppa Pig YouTube commercial uh, in the break. Uh, That is what they're going to go for. So we do not want to ask them what they feel like. And this is very helpful to continue not controlling uh, their food. That's not what we're trying to do but to continue to start to give them more and more empowerment within a framework that they've always known to be food. Where it gets complicated is when they start going to school with their lunch boxes and they come home and they say, so-and-so's been eating this and I have to eat and my friend said my lunch (laughs) smelt like poo, whatever. I remember this one time Seb came home and said, I'll just call this kid Johnny for the sake of this story, um, but I will I will protect uh, the child's identity by not revealing their actual name. So little Johnny says Seb's soup because he really liked it having soup at lunch. He went through a huge phase one winter because it was easy, it was quick, he could down it and then he could go and play. So I used to make him really beautiful soups um, and I made him a pumpkin and spinach soup and anyone who's made pumpkin and spinach in the same soup knows yeah, it could look a little bit like baby diarrhea. Fair enough on the colour front. Uh, this kid said, your your lunch looks like poo. Um, and uh, everybody laughed and, and Seb was like, mom, it just felt awful. <laughs> he was like six or seven. And I said, well, did you like the soup? He said, yeah, it was really yummy. So that's why it felt extra awful. Uh, and I said, well, let's think of something you could say if you had that soup again and someone said it looked like poo. And we were thinking and we were thinking and I said, I've thought of something. Do you want me to share it? And he's like, yeah. And I said, you could say to him, if your poo look, looks, looks like this, I think you should go to a doctor and then just keep eating your soup and forget about him. Don't care. You know, that's his problem that he thinks your poo looks like, your soup looks like poo because you like it. So screw that. And I think sometimes practicing dialogues, if your kid is getting teased for being the whole food kid, can be a really effective way to have it be a resilience moment rather than to conform and just start sending them with white bread sandwiches and packet snacks. I will, however, say, though, packet snacks, if you give them an inch, it'll be often enough to then have whatever else is in there. So a bento is a really great style of lunchbox for a primary school kid up until sort of year five and six where they start to get a little bit more discerning and want a bit more variety and want some more substantial stuff if they're starting to have growth spurts. But a good bento is a fantastic junior primary and early year three and four, five even um, 
lunchbox. And then if you have a handful of corn chips or a little mini packet of popcorn or something like that that looks normal, and I'm putting that in inverted commas as I say it, that can be a really helpful way to have them fly under the radar while all the other compartments have uh, other things like a chopped up leftover sausage or other meats or some crudités, uh, some avocado squished into guacamole, which, by the way, you always want to press a little bit of beeswax wrap or parchment paper on top of so it doesn't go brown and festy by the time lunch rolls around. But as um, your kid gets older, I genuinely find the leftovers hearty meal hot pot to be the best lunch. Uh, So last week, for example, Seb had a um, a bolognese hot pot one day. He had a lamb curry and rice hot pot the, the next. And these were all just leftover dinners in a thermos uh, with a big spoon for the next day. And uh, something you definitely don't want to do is try and overdo the health factor. So, and, and it's really interesting how much perception plays into this. I'll give you an example. So if you try and give your kid a big container that just has a flowy, free, Vietnamese chicken salad, let's say, in it. There's very few kids who would eat that. Um, I, I mean, yours might, mine won't, and he actually legitimately adores chicken salads if I were to make one on the weekend. But at school, it does not fly. However, if I put those exact same ingredients for the Vietnamese chicken salad into Vietnamese spring rolls and provide a dippy sauce, it's a super cool lunch. Uh, And so how you package it can often be how things get across the line. Uh, And so if you wanted to use coconut wraps, if you had to be grain-free for whatever reason, that could be an option as well. Or there's beautiful primal alternative hemp wraps that you could do um, uh, spring roll type things in as well. They're delicious, full of great nutrition too. Um, I know primal alternative isn't all over the world. um, So have a look, have a play. Um, But wraps can be a really great way to get a bunch of nutrition in, uh, but still keep grains and refined carbohydrates down to a minimum in the school lunch. The reality is if you have a sporty kid, mine does tennis training, he's got a sports elective in the mix. So he has five periods of sport over the week and um, three afternoons of sport and one afternoon of gym. He does need a lot of good fruit and uh, carbohydrate in the mix uh, and really good protein uh, as well. And I find that that is a fantastic mix for him. Um, So like meat and fruit are are really, um, really powerful for him, but also, you know, having those uh, leftover central kind of meal uh, in a thermos has been a game changer. And it's just so easy to reheat a little bit of water in the bottom of the saucepan, lid on, 10 minutes, put some boiling water in your thermos while that's heating up, boom, off you go. And that can be, if you don't have kids, a fantastic, or if you do and you're taking a work lunch, a fantastic work lunch for you to avoid food courts. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to do food courts ever. My son has a buy my lunch day once a week, uh, which is totally fine. And I give him a lot of freedom in that. Um, So, If you are doing a buy your lunch day, don't make a big deal about it uh, because you've got to focus, as Jude Blaro says, you focus on the bookends of the day, your lunch, your breakfast and your dinner. You focus on what does work. So, okay, I've noticed your lunch is coming back or you're not eating everything. Let's talk about what you would be happy to find if you opened up that lunchbox. Like what are your favourites when they are in there? And let's actually work towards including them more and more. Um, If you were to have a hot pot, what would your favourite be? If I was to make you a soup, um, do you have a toaster in the common room that you can make a piece of toast with if you feel like that helps it be more appealing for you? A little bag of croutons that you can chuck in and mix. You know, you've got to work with your kids. Toasted seeds can be a really great crunchy element if you're trying to not do grains. 
Um, there's a lot of uh, options if you have a conversation once they're older. Um, but the smaller the child is, the less options you want to give. And once they're at school, just make sure there's one thing in their bento that just looks like what everybody else is having, even if it's obviously the best version of that thing that they could be having, um, because you do have that element of fitting in that is really important to kids. And while it's also really important to teach them good comebacks, like I did with the poo soup story, um, at the same time, uh, I totally get that you want to have your child not be a target too. So there's a fine line. And meanwhile, you know, I've heard so many stories and worked with so many people over the years and so many schools to help change canteens and to shift what is served in them so that kids aren't all over the shop in their after lunch sessions in the classroom uh, so don't be afraid to have those conversations as well if you feel like something more systemic is going on at your school and it's uh, and it's something that you can help with and you have the bandwidth for, uh, it can be a really special thing to contribute in that way as well. So that is the end of this podcast and I'm just going to remind you that all you have to really focus on is trying to reduce those ultra-processed foods and trying to make sure that your kid is enjoying the food and you're, you're forming a partnership over what works for both of you when it comes to lunch. And then when it comes to dinner, that whenever you feel overwhelmed or you feel like things are a bit stale, to not panic, to sit down and to think, what can I do? I find those ingredients easy to buy at the shops. How can I switch it up? How can I make the mince I buy every week into a different cuisine? You know, how can I make the casserole into a curry? How can, and if you don't have my second book, it really is very helpful because the second, no, not the second chapter, I can't actually remember what chapter it is. And now I'm furiously trying to find the contents of the one that's right next to me. And of course I can't, here we go. You have on page 197, the Adaptables chapter. And the Adaptables chapter teaches you how to extrapolate different directions from a very small group of recipes, lunchbox bars, soups, casseroles, and the like, and pie, stir fry, that kind of thing. Uh, and, um, and of course, you know, if you don't want to buy books, that's cool. You can get this at the library, by the way, um, which is free. And then you can just photocopy or take pictures of a few, um, pages that work for you, or just start looking online for different types of ways, but please stop making one dinner at a time, try and make two and try and start thinking about that. Okay. What overlaps in the preparation of these two things? And then you are washing half the chopping boards and knives uh, and you are taking about half of your cooking time out over the week if you do this twice a week. So hopefully this episode has inspired uh, some more effective thinking in the kitchen. And if you want to take it the next step, I would love for you to join me in one of the upcoming cooking classes that I'll be running. One is focused on kids. The other one is focused on dinner, which could be families or couples or singles. I'm going to talk about batching, freezing and rotating uh, through singles eating as well. And the aim here is to eat more real food and to waste less food and to have food cost us less. These are the tips that actually help us move the needle in all three of these areas while nourishing ourselves better, which is the ultimate goal overall. So thanks so much for joining me. And I can't wait to hear what resonated with you and the best tip that you have. I'd love for you to share it with me at Lotox Life on Insta, on socials, uh, so that I can share it with everybody else. See you next week. I hope you loved today's show as much as I loved bringing it to you. I want to remind you that if you are someone who craves a low-tox community that is judgment-free, full of empowerment, has health professionals and building health professionals that can support you, as well as me in there answering questions multiple times a week, I want to invite you to join the Low-Tox Club. For the price of less than a cup of coffee a month, you have an annual membership for $49 Australian, so it's about $30 US 
US or Euro that allows you to have a member masterclass every single month with a health professional or global expert from the podcast where we have them to ourselves for an hour to ask questions and deep dive further. You have the beautiful supportive chat group. You have Q&As with me, me answering questions. We read books and talk about them and a whole bunch more. You can head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and join the club is the very first option on that list. Of course, we have over 10 evergreen courses that you can jump into anytime, whether it's navigating everyday low-tox swaps with our Go Low-Tox signature course, whether you have kids and you're wanting to know how to best support them with our Low-Tox Kids course, whether you're planning a family and looking at a healthy low-tox preconception journey, reducing inflammation, especially the chronic kind with our Inflammation Ninja course, many, many other courses. You can again head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the courses tab and you'll see all of the options, which includes a business course, my Low Tox Method program. A lot of people don't know, but uh, I was doing a lot before starting Low Tox Life in 2009. And I was a business consultant across hospitality, health, retail, and cosmetics. I have been in business consulting for a very long time. So I absolutely adore helping people move into the low-tox space or develop their low-tox businesses. So that's a way I can support you. And then, of course, there's our wonderful social media communities at Low-Tox Life on Instagram and, of course, the website with over 250 gluten-free recipes, blogs, downloadable PDFs to help you navigate wanting to get rid of synthetic fragrances in your school or office. I could go on. So head to lowtoxlife.com, see what takes your interest or fancy. And thank you so much for being a part of our podcast community. I love, love, love reading your reviews. I appreciate every follow and subscribe. And I want to just remind you to finish off that if there's anything you heard that you found interesting from a medical or scientific perspective, it is intended as education only. Please always chat to a health professional who knows you and your situation best. I'll See you next week. Bye.